Thank you. Amazing. Good to see everybody here this morning. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. How many were here last week and remembered all of the good feelings we got when I talked about you being pillars in the house of God? How many were here and remember that? Okay. Remember that feeling because it's not going to happen today. <laughs> that feeling is not coming today. Today you're going to feel a different kind of feeling. You're going to feel kind of like that feeling after maybe you did something wrong and your parents had to put something on your backside. You know, that kind of feeling. Can I see you smile at me, though? Do you trust me as a pastor? Do you trust me to preach the easy stuff, the good stuff, the, the whipped cream, desserty stuff, and the, the meaty vegetable stuff? Come on. All of it. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me. Revelation chapter 3. We are going to the end now of the seven churches. Revelation chapter 3 starting in verse 14. We have been in a series in the book of Revelation. We're going verse by verse. And after this, we'll be done with the churches. And this, by the way, will be one of our arguments for a pre-tribulation rapture. So next week, Lord willing, I'm going to bring out the charts. I'm going to show you what we believe about the end times, how we see it on a timeline, the bowls of wrath, the horsemen of the apocalypse, and then from that point on, we'll stick with that timeline as we go from chapters 4 all the way to the end of Revelation. And here's one of our arguments when people say, that the rapture might happen in the middle of the tribulation. The church is going to go through half of it. Or some say it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. So that's mid-trib and then post-trib. One of our arguments that we make to say pre-trib is that after this, no more talk of the church. There's no more talk of the church. There are uh, believers there. There are the, the Jewish people being awoken, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, 144,000. But you no longer see the church. And if you look to chapter 4, verse 1, he says, After this I looked up, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had, excuse me, the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Somebody say, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And so we believe that the come up here is for the rapture, that Jesus is calling his church up here, and now all of these things are going to take place after the age of the church. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do I believe, 10 being the most strongest belief, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do I believe Jesus is God in the flesh? 1 to 10, what do you think I believe? 10. Now, on a pre-tribulation rapture, 1 to 10, what do you think I believe? About a 1 or a 2, okay? So that will be taken with a grain of salt. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, I want you to believe it a lot more because I don't want to go through the tribulation. Believe it more. Make it so, Pastor. Uh, but I can't make it so. I'm convinced of it. I have heard the arguments of the mid-trip. I have heard the arguments of the post-trip. I have read the books. I have heard the authors of the books debate each other. But I'm still convinced we are in a pre-trib rapture, and we will avoid the tribulation, even though right now there are people in a sort of tribulation suffering for Christ. So I don't believe it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, or we just get to, you know, just miss everything, because even right now people are suffering. Can I hear an amen for the suffering church? Amen. So we shouldn't uh, think to ourselves that only... You know, the bad Christians suffer. As a matter of fact, as we get right now into Laodicea, this is another nugget I should give, the intro before the intro. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be here for a while. This is the intro before the intro. I haven't even got to the introduction. Look, here's the real intro. We haven't even got to that yet. We haven't even got to that yet. We're not, you ain't ready for the first, uh, you know, introduction now. Uh, or what was originally the first. That got bumped back a little bit. Okay, this plane will take off, a little bit delayed, but we're going to take off, and it's for your good. Amen? This is a reason as well why I do not believe the churches represent church ages. Now, you may have heard that taught before, that yes, these were literal seven churches, but they represent seven ages. And the last church, which we're talking about today, Laodicea, is the last age. But let me just share with you, that is very ethnocentric of you to think that, because you're in America watching people be backslidden. And if you haven't read the book of Revelation, let me just tell you, Laodicea is a bad church, okay? They're a backslidden church. You may have been 
been taught that because in America you saw backsliding. In America you saw people stop going to church. But that to me is not a good enough evidence. i got to look at the church around the world. How is the church of China doing right now? They are definitely not Laodicea. How is the church of Iran? Iran is growing in the midst of Islamic oppression. How are the churches around the world doing? I don't think we're in a Laodicean age. So that would be offensive to our brothers and sisters right now who are radical, growing the church leaps and bounds. While the church in America is dying for the most part, you see around the world the church is growing. So how do I take the churches not as ages but as kinds, kinds of churches? So what kind of church is America overall? A Laodicean church. But I don't think we're in a Laodicean age. If we're in a Laodicean age, then that means about 100 million Chinese Christians need to start backsliding, and I'm not hoping for that. Do you get what I'm saying there? So, yes, there are a lot of backsliders in America. There is a lot of people that remind us of the Laodicean church in America. But once again, I don't think we're in a Laodicean age. I actually have a different understanding of how this thing wraps up. I don't believe we get raptured before the tribulation, all backslidden, only a handful of us, and we're just waiting for Jesus to come rescue us. I believe we leave out of here conquering, winning the nations for Jesus, and that was the last and greatest revival upon the earth. This side saying amen. The rest of y'all still deciding? I got my amen corner today. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. I'm believing God for revival. I'm believing God for a harvest. I'm not believing we go out, you know, just barely hanging on to the ropes, you know, rescue me, Jesus. And he's like, well, angels, go and get them now. No, I don't believe that's going to happen even in America. I believe our greatest days are still to come. I believe that there's going to come from a great shaking, a great awakening. Somebody brought me a poster that said that, and I have it in my office now. It was just somebody who was watching us go through what we went through during the time of COVID and BLM and brought me a word that he had drawn out, and he said, from a great shaking comes a great awakening. That's what I'm believing. I'm believing that the church goes out in victory. So just consider that as we're looking at the Laodicean church, that I do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ across the globe is Laodicean. And I don't believe this church is Laodicean. I believe that we are a faithful remnant. Amen? But we do need to hear this word, and in any congregation, you may see people that are living like this, and we, even myself, may be tempted to become lukewarm, because that's going to be a key to understanding this. But the message that I believe Jesus wants us to take away from this is, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Amen. You ready for the the intro I had planned? Okay, how many love your children? If you have children, do you love them? How many of you love them enough to rebuke them? How many of you love them enough to discipline them? Aren't you glad you guys got a dad that loves you? Come on, that's love. That's spankings are love when done right from the right heart because you're teaching a child, don't do that. The pain of that spanking is temporary, but a lifetime in jail can mess you up. The pain of a spanking is temporary, but taking your own life or getting hooked on drugs can last a lot longer than that. We show them with the temporary pain or the discomfort of the discipline, the time out, and, you know, the the rebuke. We show them that in that temporary discomfort, there is a greater good that can be accomplished. And even in the midst here of Jesus dealing with what is the worst church on the list, we are not to walk away from it going, he doesn't love them. We are to walk away going, he loves us. So whatever I do as a pastor, preacher, teacher that, you know, would make you think I don't love you, I have done it wrong. Please forgive me. If there's anyone that you've met as a Christian in their, their, you know, their good heart to try to correct you or to teach you, if it has ever made you think they don't love you, forgive them. Because we as Christians, no matter how right we can be with God, no matter how you know, just we can be, we are not to use these right standards, these just standards, to hurt people and to tell them that we don't love them. It's like, go to hell. I want you to go there. No, we're not, te- we're not here to tell people to go to hell. But isn't it funny, the people who don't like us and think we're judgmental tell us to go to hell all the time. You Christians go to hell. Let's just put on the brakes right here. First of all, I don't think you understand the Bible and hell and what it's all about, first of all. Second of all, I thought you're upset with us for judging, yet you just went the whole way. You, you, you went beyond, you know, something we're talking about morally. You didn't even get, let me go to judgment. You want me to go to hell right now. You don't even want me to talk to the judge. Just go there. Go to hell right now. Y'all go to hell. See, that's, a, that's a common vernacular. And yet, that is the worst kind of way to think about hell. 
I don't want anybody to go to hell. I want everyone to go to Jesus so they can go to heaven. Amen? And just for review, we are in this sermon series because we want to learn from the churches. And all the churches except Laodicea had something good that we could learn from. So Jesus would normally compliment the churches, bring out a critique, and then uh, bring out a compliment. So it was sandwiched in in compliment, critique, compliment. Not with Laodicea. It's straight up critique. So what can we learn from their mistakes is not be like them. Not be like them. And I know a lot of times we don't want to, you know, be honest with ourselves, but we need to be. I wish that every person who was, or excuse me, is now a backslider would have been honest with their backsliding when they were in this church. Like, why wait to deal with it when you're out there? Deal with it in here. Deal with it right here. What is your sin? What is your compromise? What is your addiction? Deal with it right here. A hypocrite, let's all get this clear right now. A hypocrite is not somebody who has mistakes. Otherwise, we're all hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who denies their mistakes and then tries to point out those very same mistakes in others. That's the hypocrite. So for those of you who want to be so pious, well, I don't want to go to church because I'm a hypocrite. That's not really pious. If you're not living for God, you're going to go to hell, okay? But if you are saying in in, in genuine heart, you got this confused. Let me untangle this for you. If you are saying, I don't know if I'm able to come to church because I have all of these mistakes, let me just take that perfect, uh, you know, standard off of you right now. You can come to church even though you have mistakes. Mistakes. All you have to do, somebody say, all you have to do is admit your mistakes and don't judge somebody else for those same mistakes. Amen? So this is where I, as a pastor, try to be very transparent with you because there are things that I believe God has done in my life that I can be a standard to, and I can be very honest and say, you know, something like pornography. Okay, I haven't looked at that from 96. Anybody here uh, dealing with that? God can set you free. He has set me free. But if, Amen. Praise God. But if, I, but if I'm going to talk about lust, you don't want to know the last time I lusted gets quiet, but I lusted last week, and God had to check my heart. Do you understand? And I had to deal with having an inappropriate thought about someone other than my wife. And it comes to me quite often, and not every temptation is giving into it, so don't get me wrong. I'm doing a lot better at avoiding the temptation turning into the sin of lust, but I have dealt with it on probably a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And any man not amen in me right now is most likely a liar. Any man telling me you don't deal with it? Come on, you, you, if you're not dealing it with, with women, you're dealing with it with men. Come on, you better be honest up in this church. You better be real with this preacher. I mean, some of you, some of you might say, well, Pastor, I, I'm doing better than you on that. Okay, well, I, I can believe that the extension of grace is working itself out better in your life. And I do believe the standard is perfection for all, so we never make excuses for sin. But the point is, is that if I'm dealing with pornography, I'm going to be transparent if, and, and tell you the truth. And I'm, if I'm dealing with lust, I'm going to tell you the truth. They may have two different timelines, but I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite to tell you that this is real about me in pornography, but this is also real about me in dealing with lust. And that's why we don't want you to stay home if you're having mistakes. Deal with it here. That's why I haven't given into my lust because the Bible says it brings birth to these other kinds of sins. That's why I haven't given into starting an affair, starting an emotional relationship, or looking at uh, pornography and things like that because there's, there's a, a conviction that is coming into my heart when I deal with that. And then now, let's just bring it to everybody. I deal with anger. I dealt with anger yesterday. How many still deal with your temperament? Can I hear an amen? Don't you lie in this church. Come round here, as the old preacher used to say. Come right here and be honest with me. You better be honest with me. I see some of y'all just leaving the church with an attitude because somebody didn't say hi, bumped into you, took your seat. Somebody else's kids got on your nerves. You're already acting bad right now. You in church. Come on. What, what is that? That is us dealing with our temperament. Now, if you ask me when was the last time I hit somebody, it's been a while. I wish I could say it was before I got saved, but I did get into a fight after I got saved. 
I was sanctified, but not that sanctified, if you know what I mean. And it was about three months after i gotten saved, and I was loving Jesus, and my friend was working with drug and alcohol addicts and helping them get a job, and I was a young adult, 18 years old. I needed a job, so I did painting with these guys, and one day he left me in charge, an 18-year-old in charge of uh, recovering addicts, and I don't even know how to paint. But he was just like, you're the soberest one here, so I'm going to trust you with all this paint right here and just keep painting. Well, it didn't take very long until a grown man got upset with me because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and, of course, then it had to go from one level to the next level. And then the next thing I know is I'm getting hit in the face. I had never in all of my days got a black eye. I've been hit in the head. I've been hit in the face. But I've never, like, walked away from a fight and had your typical shiner. You know what I'm saying? But that day I had to go to church with a shiner. I won't tell you what happened to him afterwards, but let's just say that was the last thing he got on me. But I had to go to church with a shiner. I'm a new Christian. I'm coming to the Wednesday, because it had to be Wednesday. I'm coming to the Wednesday Bible study. All the sisters looking at me. What happened? I got into a fight. Now, I, I, I could have walked away. I could have turned the other cheek, but that was not an option for that Joe at that time. Now, let's just be honest. It's the same thing like with the pornography. Many of you can relate to saying, yeah, I haven't done this kind of sin. But with the anger or the, or the lust, I'm still dealing it with over here. How many can I get an amen from on that? And so once again, Laodicea, as we get into the scripture, as we get into the lesson, how not to be like the Laodiceans. Here it is. It's real basic. Somebody say it's basic. Thank you. It is real basic. Listen to the corrections of Jesus and grow in your faith. If you got to repent, repent. Every time I have confessed lust, I have repented in such a way that in my heart I never want to do it again. I'm not repenting so I can do it again. I'm repenting because it disgusts me. It's against my holy God. I see Jesus on the cross shedding his blood for that sin. I don't want to take advantage of Jesus' grace as it, as it says in the scriptures. I want to use God's grace, be empowered by God's grace to be free from the sin. Amen. And so we should learn from them. We don't want to follow this path out. And let me just stop here real quick before we get into it. Just, just adding to this introduction here is sin is deceitful to all of us. Even right now, this rapper, is his name Little Nas? Little Nas came out, this rapper, with a shoe dedicated to Satan. Now understand this, Nike broke its deal with Nini's Deli over what happened with us, but they are fully supporting and in partnership with a Satanist coming out with a satanic shoe dedicated to the devil. You can go on the website and see it, which I did, guard your children from it, and see all the satanic images. It is not just a ploy for marketing, it's actually what this gentleman believes, and he has all the imagery there, and Nike is behind it. If anyone can prove that wrong, let me know. From my research, it's their shoe. They know what it's for, and they're letting him promote it that way. Little Nas. Now, let me ask you a question. Do most of us see ourselves as little Nas today when we sin? Like when you walk out of here and you get upset in traffic or you have a lustful thought in your heart, do you think of yourself as a Satanist? I just love Satan now. I just love Satan. No, you don't think about yourself that way. You walk out of here thinking, I'm a Christian, but I just got some mistakes. I'm a Christian, but I just got some issues. And that's true that God can love us despite our issues and mistakes. But here's where the temptation comes. If we think that God doesn't care about our sins or little sins, which there's really not, but you get my point, these kind of issues that we have, we'll go to the same hell as little Nas. We will go to the same hell. Think about this. Adam and Eve, what was their great sin that got them kicked out of the garden? Was it now worshiping the snake? Did they start getting snake tattoos? Did they start uh, tattooing their eyes red to look like demons like little Nas did? No. Adam and Eve, what was their one sin? Disobedience. Disobedience brought spiritual death and separation between them and the God who created them for a loving relationship. And so here's the lesson we need to learn about Laodicea is your sin can deceive you. You can start to think to yourself, well, I'm not that bad. I'm better than others. My mistakes are not that person's mistakes. I think I'm still good. 
and we will miss the warning of the Lord. The warning of the Lord is for us, even though today we may not be like Laodicea, even though in your heart you are confessing all known sin, you are living right before God, you know, you are doing this the way the Holy Spirit wants you to. If you're not careful, you can eventually say to the sweet dove of the Holy Spirit, I don't want you, I want the flesh. You can prefer the flesh over the dove of the Holy Spirit being led by him. Because God's not going to force you to go to heaven. Are you listening? The devil can't force you to go to hell and Jesus can't force you to go to heaven. You will go where you decide in your heart to go. That's why we need to say to God, God, change my heart. Change the way I look at sin. Change the way I look at the flesh. Expose it to me, Jesus. So the one today being you know, tempted with lust or adultery, someone like myself, you know what I do? I, I try to follow the proverb, and it says, know the end from the beginning, and that is wisdom. The proverbs talk about knowing the end from the beginning, and knowing that end in the Hebrew is aharit, and we have a message on that that we share with our SUM students by Dr. Michael Brown a Hebrew scholar because it's a part of the Hebraic thinking that they have employed and become successful in business and a lot of what they do that is thinking about the end from the beginning and that was taught in Proverbs is you got to think about the consequence so this week as I was battling that thought of lust trying to make sure it wasn't turning into a sin I do believe God kept me from it for the most part though I'm always conscientious to repent of anything that might even come to that line is the Lord said to me Imagine in this thought, son, of you having this person in your bed, imagine now waking up the next morning. So the Lord just fast-forwarded me through the, the excitement of being in someone else's bed and making love to someone else, you know, other than my wife of 15 years. Because, see, the devil lures us in with that kind of forbidden fruit, and he doesn't want us to think about what happens afterward. Somebody say, at the end. So the, so the Lord said, okay, you, you did that, and that's what you thought you needed in your flesh. Now just follow it to the end. What, what do you do? Uh, do, you, do you say to them, let's get married because I'm going to leave my wife, and I'm going to try to raise six kids with your, however many kids you have, five kids, ten kids? Or do, do, do I even know if we get along? Or did I just want you for the booty? Somebody say, keep it real. See, God was telling me, look at it towards the end. Look at it towards the end. Now you're talking to this person that maybe you saw at a shoe store, maybe you saw on the street, maybe you saw, and, and you just wanted to have sex because that's just what you felt like you needed. Now the end is you're laying next to the person. What do you talk about? Maybe they're not even a Christian. Maybe they don't even want to serve the Lord. And then the Lord began to give me these different outcomes. I would find myself back into the role of a player right after that because I probably wouldn't like that person because there's only one person that has been able to satisfy my needs, and i got a lot of needs, and that's my wife. That's why before I came to my wife and stopped dating, online dating, all those things, because my wife emotionally could meet my needs before she ever sexually met my needs. And so the moment I was walking through the end, I'm like, I'm right now at the beginning, uh, before I was even at, with Christ, I'm going to be a player looking for someone to meet emotional needs through sexuality. But God says, you're not even done yet. Now think about how your children are going to think. Think about the reputation that you're going to give them. Think about how they're going to have a curse now of seeing the parents get a divorce. And I'm not saying God can't break the curse, but you know what I'm talking about. The single family, it's a curse upon our children. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and I believe everyone can be set free from that. Please hear my heart on that. There's grace, but it's not the way it was supposed to be. And then God, now watch. I love God. Somebody say, I love Jesus. Oh, Jesus didn't stop there. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, now let's just imagine every little check you can check, you can live with. Like, uh, you know, every box you can check. So you can now live as a separated man because other people do it. You know, you're going to raise your family apart. And it just happens to be that the one that you slept with happens to meet your needs. And that one's just as good, if not better, than Nancy, all of that. So, so, the, so Jesus said to me, just imagine you can check every one of those boxes. You know what he asked me next? What you going to do in three months when you're laying in her bed and want to be in somebody else's bed? <laughs> How many know, men? it's not going to stop? I, I feel a little bit more open to talk to men about it than I do ladies, but ladies, just apply yourself to this, this situation. But I just want to look at some men in this place. How many know men, after all that happened, and, and now you say you're just so happy, and, oh, and it was meant to be, and, you know, that first marriage wasn't really supposed to be there, and now you're in that person's bed. How many know it's not going to take about, what, three months, six months? Not even that before now you're thinking, oh, man, the person at my job, I bet you they could satisfy me. And then what are we on? An endless cycle of destruction. 
Now, some of you who could not relate to that when it came to sex, let's just talk about pizza. Let's talk about devil's cake. Let's talk about triple chocolate brownies. You said to yourself you were going to lose weight. All you, all you needed was just, you're going to start on Monday. All you needed was just to just ease that craving by eating all you can on Sunday. You're going to start on Monday. And then what happens? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then all of a sudden you're breaking it. You're going to Dairy Queen, getting a dilly bar or something. And then you said, man, I done messed this up. You got your churro now, and you messed it up. Now you mess up somewhere. You get your next thing, your next thing. Oh, I'm going to start. See, sin has a way of deceiving us all. And, it, and the Bible says it's never satisfied. Just like in my example, the Lord was walking me through it to see, Joe, sexual sin is a lie. What you can do rather is repent and be satisfied in your wife. And the Bible says, may her what satisfy you? May her breast satisfy you all the days of your life. Praise God for a Bible that understands a man. I can't look at anybody right now but just say, thank you, Jesus. Going to wait for that awkward moment to pass. I'll look back at you in just a moment when I'm no longer red. But I thank God he understands a man. I thank God. I got a man that understands and God understands. Okay, going to Laodicea. What do we need to apply from this? We need to apply sin is deceitful, and it happens slowly over time, and it never Sin, nor the devil or the flesh, never show us the end. And what it now looks like to serve the master of sin. The master of sin is a wicked taskmaster. Sexual sin will never satisfy. The purity and the holiness of God always will. When the heart is the issue, make that the heart of the issue. And the heart is the issue when it comes to this. So God, give me eyes only for my wife. Take away the lust that I would have. Give me a stability for this family that I would trust your plan for our marriage for the long term. And I know sometimes that can be scary. Even for many of you in this church, when you hear even a pastor say this, you're like, you know, you're like almost you're like the disciples after he told the rich man, sell everything, and then you'll go to heaven. And that was like a crazy thing to say. And the disciples said, who then can be saved? If you're looking at a pastor confessing this, some of the ladies might be, who can be a good man then? Oh, Lord Jesus, who can be a good man. Where, where is one, Jesus? If the pastor's even confessing this, how does his wife even love him? But I told my wife, I said, this is the flesh that I have to crucify. And I said, if I lied to you, then I'm a hypocrite. But I said, God has been faithful, and I've overcome so many things by his grace, the, the sins that go along with lust. And I said, I know that I will see him conquer this in my heart as well. So that when I look at uh, the women that are not my wife, everyone else, they're, they're like sisters, the Bible says. And that I look at them with all purity. We have to guard our hearts. That's the wellspring of life. Laodicea was just like us. Laodicea could, could be anybody today if we're not careful. Are you all ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. I'm going to read the whole passage, then break it down and we'll end with some application by God's grace. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the true words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is talking. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, somebody say lukewarm. Thank you, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I count you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Can I hear an amen for that? So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Somebody say, I'm listening, Jesus. 
Amen. Here's the breakdown just so that we can understand what happened here and what Jesus was saying. As always, he starts with a declaration of who he is. He is the amen. He is the so be it. He is the right on of the Father. He is the confirmation of all that the Father has said. He is the faithful and true witness. That means when God came in the flesh, Jesus, as we know him now, he never lied. He told us the truth. He said that this is what heaven is like. This is what hell's like. Maybe that will come back on. Who knows? But we'll keep preaching. He said this is what heaven's like. This is what hell is like. He also taught us that when he came back, he was going to judge the world. How many believe Jesus is going to judge the world? Amen. I'm preaching better than this microphone's working. I don't want to stop till it comes. Amen. I really want to keep preaching. He said he's, thank you, he said he's the ruler of God's creation. That means he's over God's creation. This is, this is another understanding of the equality of the son with the father. It's not that the son is less than God as the father God. The father, the son, and the spirit are all equal as God. There is only one ruler of the creation of, of, of God. That's God. God is the father, son, the spirit. They're not the same person, but they share the same equality. There is only one that is the creator. How many creators do we have? One, Father is the creator, Son is the creator, and the Holy Spirit is the creator. So he says, I am the ruler of God's creation. How many know that's pretty serious? I love this because it gives us the high Christology of who Jesus is. Let us not get, you know, so captivated by the baby in the manger pictures or even at the, the time of Easter coming up, Jesus suffering on the cross. This is the image that we're supposed to have of Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior, the great I am, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler, the king of God's creation. Amen? That's who he is. Now he goes right into the rebuke. What is the rebuke? Their deeds are neither hot or cold, and because of that, they are lukewarm. And now Jesus says, I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. I love how Jesus knew how to talk about what was in their culture. At this time, the Romans were experts at aqueducts, bringing forth water from the places where they came from, the springs or the underground wells. And what he was saying to them is that I wish you were either a hot water that I can put into coffee or tea, how many like those kinds of things, or a cold water that I can put into iced coffee or iced tea. How many like some of those things? But what he was saying is I don't want you to be lukewarm. Have you ever had lukewarm coffee? Have you ever had lukewarm milk? He says, that's what I don't want you to be. Now, some have taught that he was saying, I wish you were either living for me hot or cold living for the devil. That's not true. Jesus doesn't want you living for the devil. The illustration isn't he wants you either to live for him or live for the devil because at the end, the one living for the devil is getting cast in the lake of fire anyways. The illustration here is that both are useful. That's why he says, I wish you were one or the other. Both are useful. Some days you want cold things. Some days you need hot things. Both are useful. But what is he saying? I don't want you to be. I don't want you to be lukewarm. So obviously if cold was a bad thing going to hell, he wouldn't want that either. But he wants them to be one or the other, useful as heat and imparting energy, or cool as cooling down cold in times of heat and exhaustion. Jesus is speaking to them based on what they could see around them, just like we have a hot water faucet or a hot part of the, you know, the handle there or the cold, but not a lukewarm shower. How many do not like lukewarm showers? Sometimes you, you're hot and it's the summer. Man, put some cold water on me. Give me the hose. You know, hose me down. And sometimes it's super cold outside. Put that hot water on me, man. I don't want that cold shower. Jesus is teaching them from their culture what they would know, just like we would know hot and cold. Don't be in the middle because you're going to make me puke. This is Jesus talking to a church. This is not Jesus just talking to Ellen Degenerate. I mean DeGeneres. This is not Jesus just talking to Oprah. This is not him talking to Bill Gates or the wicked, powerful leaders of our culture, you know, those kinds of people. He's speaking to the actual congregants. He's saying, there are those of you there because of your deeds. You're not useful in either hot or cold circumstances. And because you're lukewarm, I'm about ready to spit you out my mouth. But how many are glad he hasn't spit them out yet? 
The point is he's still giving mercy, even to a backslidden church. I remember in my early years, I had no mercy for a backslidden church. Sometimes the weather would be cold, people wouldn't come to church, and I would be preaching everybody going to hell. And then I could see people looking at me going, but pastor, we are the ones that actually came. You need to tell my neighbor this. So I would be beating up the church that actually came that day. I was, I was not right. Somebody say, help them, Jesus. And when I first started off in juvenile ministry, I was telling some of our sisters the other day, man, I was preaching them all into hell as well. Every one of you going to hell, God wants to send you there. I'm kind of happy that he wants to because I'm sick and tired of preaching to you week after week after week. You're never listening. And then my Bible college president handed me an empty water bottle, and he said, the only time you can ever preach like that again is if you fill this up with tears. Because how many know I couldn't fill a water bottle up with tears for those in the juvenile jail and say that ever again? It was his way of showing me that I didn't have the right heart. I love the heart of Jesus here. Even though he's telling them the honest truth, I'm about ready to spit you out. It's not yet. I'm not doing it yet. It's not over for you yet. He's going to end with some great things. Well, let's just go to these other parts here. He calls them out. He says, you think you are rich and don't need a thing. But Jesus said, he said, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Everybody go, oh, snap. That's my Jesus. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. I'm not ashamed of a Jesus that calls people ratchet. Amen? You're not righteous, you're ratchet. I'm not ashamed of a Jesus that calls people pitiful. Like Mr. T, I pity the fool. I pity you. You're so dumb, I pity you. I feel bad for you. How many look at Cardi B sometimes and say, I just feel bad for you? How many times some, some of you look at Miley Cyrus and you're like, you're just pitiful. You're pitiful, and that's not to be mean. You're just speaking the truth. It's pitiful what you have become. God is speaking the word. He's telling them as it is, and we need to hear how honest he is with them. But what I love about this is, once again, Jesus knows the culture, and if you don't understand the background, you may not know how significant it is. Laodicea was a wealthy city. They had major banks in that city to the point that when there was a disaster that came and Rome said, we'll help you, they had so much pride in their own wealth and riches, they said, we don't want any of Rome's money. We'll pay for it ourselves. So they were the kind of well-to-do Christians they were the kind that always had the right clothes on, always were fashionable. Their church had the greatest looking facades and facilities. And Jesus says, I, I understand what you think you're accomplishing here in this mega church. And I'm not saying all mega churches are bad. He says, but you think you're a mega church, but you're really a mega mess. You have all of this that looks impressive to people, but you don't understand how I see you. I see you wretched. I see you pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You want to know another thing that he's messing with them on? In the city of Laodicea, they actually made eye balm and salve to heal sicknesses of the eye. They had medicine there for the eye. And he is saying, your eyes aren't right. You're blind. And imagine them saying back, but Jesus, we got the balm here. We've got the salve. We've got the eye drops here. And Jesus is saying back to them, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your spirit you're blind. And then another thing that I love is that they made clothes there. And one of their most popular clothes was a black dyed cloth. And so he says to them, not only do you not have the right clothes, you're naked. You're naked. You think because of your fashion industry, you're wearing the best clothes. You know, kind of like when you look at Calvin Klein, that black outfit, that black shirt on black pants that can cost you, you know, $2,000 or something. That's how they thought about what they were wearing. And he says, you not even just have on the wrong clothes, Walmart clothes or whatever in comparison. You're buck naked. How many know there's nothing wrong with Walmart, though? It's the same cotton, amen? But he says, you're buck naked. You're exposed. I see right through you. There's nothing about your fashion that can help you here. We then see that Jesus now gives them encouragement. Somebody say encouragement. Amen. There will be encouragement in this message as well, but I want to apply it in some real ways in just a moment. Jesus commands them to buy gold from him. So they think they're rich. They have storehouses of wealth. He says, you don't have the real wealth. Come get the wealth from me. 
And how many know they didn't have money to purchase it, but the blood of Jesus was more than enough. So he's saying, come with my blood to the kingdom, and you'll have a credit card that never has a debt on it. I will pay in full everything that you need. How many have heard scriptures like that before? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. Where? In Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying, come, get the gold from me so that you really can be rich. So here we see people in the church that say, you know, riches are bad. You know, the Bible says, you know, the root of all evil is money. No, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And the Bible doesn't want us all broke, busted, and disgusted. He does want us rich, but he wants us kingdom rich first. He wants us putting first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things can be added on to you. So he says, I do want you to be rich. I do want you to be blessed, but it starts spiritually. And I am going to give you clothes to wear, and white is going to be what you're going to be wearing now, clothed in righteousness, being clean in that, in that sense. And then he actually says to them that I have got the salve for your eyes. How many know Jesus is a good preacher? Did you ever wonder why he said he would give them salve for their eyes? Now you know if you've read it before because that's what they were boasting in. We're so advanced. We have all the best medicine. We can help you from going blind if you're sick. We have the best banks. We're one of Rome's wealthiest cities. We don't even need federal funding. We are fashionable. We have the best kind of clothes. And Jesus calls them out and says, all of that is worthless. But in me, I have the gold that you need. In me, I have the clothes that you need. In me, I have what will heal your eyes. Somebody say, get Jesus. Amen. And that's why he says, be earnest and repent. And then what does he say at the end? I love this so much about my Jesus. He says, I haven't left your house yet. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to get that. Jesus says, I haven't left yet. I hear you partying in there. I hear you dancing with the devil. I hear you doing all of these wicked things. you pretending you don't hear me knocking at the door. But I'm still knocking, Jesus says. If you will just stop doing what you're doing in sin and wickedness and come hear the knocking and open up the door, Jesus says, I will dine with you. There's nothing greater than that. You will not find that in the teachings of Buddhism. You will not find that Buddha's knocking at the door of your heart today to come spend time with you. You will not hear that in the teachings of Muhammad and Islam. There is no other religion that can promise relationship. All they leave you with is works and trying to work your way to heaven, but all you're going to get is the wages of sin is death, right? But the Bible says he's offering us a free gift of grace through the personal relationship of himself. He is knocking at the door of our hearts, and all we have to do is just let him in. I love that illustration. How many have had guests over before? How many have done that before? How many have had other guests while you're waiting for guests and you forgot about the guests at the door? I know that might have been complicated, but I'm going to say it again. How many of you have had multiple people coming to your house and you couldn't hear some of the people coming because you were already hanging out with the ones already there? Does that make sense? And your doorbell wasn't loud enough. And then what do they say to you? They call you on the phone. Hello, I'm here. And you're like, I'm here too. Where are you? I'm at your door. And then you have to walk over there and be like, hey, man, I'm sorry. How many of you just leave a sign on your door that says, come on in? Okay, not many of you. That's me. That's the crazy white boy, I guess. Some of you ain't leaving that sign. You're like, you don't know my neighbors, Pastor. No, but I'm telling you, man, I leave the sign that says, come on in. And if the neighbors come on in, that's all right. We have to have a heart that says it's not more important what I'm doing here that I can't hear what he's talking about. If we forget what he's talking about, then we're going to miss everything. The most important thing is isn't who in the house. It's not who's here with me today. I love you. You're important. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, is Jesus here? Is Jesus in this church? Is Jesus in my house? You've already heard so many stories about people committing suicide, have more money than all of us put together. Why? Because riches don't make a happy home. It's Jesus in the home. You've heard about people having all the sexual escapades they could possibly want, and yet they die of AIDS. Why? Because sex doesn't make a marriage good. It's the love that makes a marriage good. We have to understand it's Jesus in our bedroom. It's Jesus in our kitchen. It's Jesus in our living room. It's Jesus in our house. Jesus at the dinner table. Jesus at the breakfast table. That makes a happy home. That changes lives. Open up the door for Jesus to come in. And then lastly, he says what, I mean, probably one of the greatest things you could hear out of the whole promises that he gives to the, to the churches 
he gives it to the one he rebuked the most. Listen to what he says. He says, to the victorious, I will give them the right to sit with me on my Father's throne. He's saying to the Laodicean church, the ones that make him puke, I've got a place on my throne for you. You're not just going to be somewhere way out there in the kingdom. You're not just going to be out there taking care of the garden. How many know Jesus could just make us gardeners if that's all he wanted? Sometimes people complain to me. They say, well, I just feel like I'm God's pet. So what you, what you feel like? How does an argument with your pet go? How many of you have pets? If your animal said, I don't like being your pet, what would you say? You'd say, I don't care. You'd say, first of all, why are you talking to me, you know, crazy thing? No, but seriously, like your pet telling you, I'm your, you know, I'm a pet and I'm not really chill with this right now. It doesn't matter what your pet says. So first of all, if God just wanted us to be pets, so somebody thinks that's a sassy thing back to God, to say back to God. Number one, what difference does it make? Number one. Number two, but didn't he call us to be more than just pets? What if he just called us to be servants in the sense of all we did was serve in the kingdom of God, but we got to be around his glory? That would still be good enough for me. Wouldn't that be good enough for you? That's better than going to hell. How many know he could have just sent us to hell without even giving us a choice? If God was a bad God, he could just start us off right in hell. Hey, how are you guys doing down there today? Right? He could just start us right in the fire pit. But if he said, you know what? I'm a good God. I'm just going to have you serve me all the time. But here's what you get out of serving me. You get to see my glory. You get to experience my presence. You get to have perfect peace of mind. You'll never lack anything. How many would say, Jesus, sign me up for that? Because part of the argument that little Nas is making is I, he says, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. No, you wouldn't. Let's give it a shot right now. Let's set you on fire and see how much you're reigning right now. Right? Like, let's just do a little illustration of this. Here, here I am serving somebody. So put me in a job to serve somebody, okay? So, so put me at a restaurant. Here's Joe serving somebody today. I'm pretty cool with that. Let's now put some gasoline on you and set you on fire. Let's see how you like that. How many know that don't work? So these people who say this, because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, by God's grace. And I've also preached in New Orleans where Satanism was a thing before it became a thing. You know, it was always there. Now it's kind of trending, like it's cool to be Satanist and all that. So they used to tell me that junk all the time. And I would be like, er, let's just talk a little bit about what you think hell is for a minute. Because the hell that I'm talking about is not a place anybody wants to go. And seriously, they would describe to me, grown adults, grown adults would describe to me a hell that's somewhere between an ACDC concert and a party or something. And I'm like, you don't even understand what hell is. Hell is a place of gnashing of teeth. The fire doesn't go out. The worm dies not. It's a place of mental anguish. So I would say to them, imagine the day your mother died or somebody you loved in your family. You know, you know that some of these people had their family members die. Imagine that. And then on top of that, everybody else you know dying. And then imagine that the day you felt the most loneliness. On top of that, the day where you were confused. On top of that, confusion, loneliness, pain, all at the same time. While you're set on fire. It doesn't work like the way they think it works, does it? But lastly, he didn't want us just to be pets, and he doesn't want us just to walk around with, the, you know, the hors d'oeuvres in his party in heaven. He wants us to come sit. Come on up. Sit on my throne. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that amazing? My God. My God. I could just see Jesus. We get there, you know. We get there, and he's like, who wants to come on up here? Give it a shot, you know. You start grabbing the scepter, waving it around. He's like, no, 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 leave that scepter alone. We're not crushing the nations right now. Put that scepter down. But God, I really want to. In another passage, it says we do, we do only for one time during the Battle of Armageddon. We get some of that, amen? We get some of that ability to crush the nations, the Bible says. But after that, you know, he's going to say, no, no, don't touch the scepter. Just look at the Father. Be enamored by the Father. See what I've created. Look at the vastness of my kingdom. Look at my heart. Hear my heart beat. And so Jesus is telling us that even though he's uniquely God, but by God becoming like us, we now get to become like him. And so don't fall for the false doctrines of, uh, of polytheism like Mormonism and these other religions teach that man becomes God. That's not true. But man becomes God-like, godly. We become like our Father through the Son because He became like me, because Jesus took on flesh and became what I was. I now get to become what He is in His character, in His heart, in His love. I get to be transformed into His image from glory to glory to glory. What an honor. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. The last few minutes that we have together, I believe that our culture has become like the Laodicean church, and we need to wake up. We think that because we have money, that somehow we have spirituality, and that does not mean we do. Just because in American culture right now, we are the richest that we've ever been. We have the most technology that we've ever had. That does not mean we are spiritually right. I think if you want to be honest right now, if you want to hear this pastor's heart on, you know, the pulse of the nation, I think we are the most backslidden that we have ever been. I, I mean that. I mean that. And I know we've had slavery. We've had oppression of Native Americans and those kinds of things. But I'll tell you why I think it's even worse right now. Because now it's a deception of the heart. You see, when the sin was outward, you had Christians that were able to rise up against those things. Remember the Civil War? Remember that little battle we call the Civil War? Where a bunch of people killed each other over the oppression of another people? Like that actually happened. You remember like during that same time in Africa, they were still enslaving each other, and yet a group of Christian, mostly Christian white people, killed their own neighbors, their own countrymen, so that the African people could be set free? Isn't that amazing? While Shaka, Shaka Zulu was devastating and committing genocides to the tribes around him, and at the same time, you know, of the oppression of the Native Americans, there were Christians that began to start universities so they could come. Do you know that Harvard was started so that Native Americans could go to college? Do you know that still to this day you can go to Harvard if you're a Native American for free? So there were Christians that were standing up in the midst of that. Do you know that during the time of the Industrialized Revolution, when the people were coming off of the farms into the cities and they were being just drawn in by the prostitution and the alcoholism, do you know that at that time Christian businessmen started the YMCA for the very purpose that now young people coming to work in the factories would have a clean and a pure place to live and be a Christian? Do you know that during that same time you had the Salvation Army going out to the streets, people like D.L. Moody going out to the slums, you know, going out there and preaching to the poor and saying, look, Jesus has an answer. D.L. Moody said to the young people, if you are faithful to Sunday school, I'll buy you a suit and help you get a job in the 1800s. And yet now I'm telling you, I mean, if you look at every culture, every culture, just from the 1950s till now, we are the most wicked we've ever been. If my children were to say, show me the Anglo culture in its greatness as it has been for Christ, I don't even know if I could point to 10 churches where there's a white pastor preaching like how D.L. Moody and others used to. If someone said, when I take my kids to the inner city and they start to see the homelessness and the drug addiction, I have to tell them black neighborhoods didn't used to be like this. Because I studied my black history when I was in New Orleans through the black pastors that were there marching, getting the civil rights liberty. They would go to school in, in, in sometimes slacks and dress shoes. They would go to church in suits. They had a higher rate of marriage and less divorce than even the, the white community at that time. I don't even know how many black preachers and black churches I could point to that are preaching the gospel. And then the same thing with the Latino, just to kind of keep it kind of broad here, Anglo, Latino, and, and, and African-American. When I hear of the stories of the, Afri uh, the, uh, the Latinos as they were reached during the time of the missionary movement, some of them became mo some of the most radical preachers we've ever known on this planet. You can study about the revivals of Argentina. You can study about the revivals of Mexico. You can study about Colombia. Literally within 100 years after the missionaries came to Latin America, Catholicism became a minority in many nations like Brazil, like in Colombia. The Christians began to take over the entire nation. And yet now, where do we have to show for the Latino churches in the culture? Now Latinos just as high as abortion rates, just as much as gangs. What happened to the culture? And now we could just put it in everybody's culture. What happened to our young people? If my two-year-old or four-year-old wanted to know, what, what is an example of a young person? What high school, what team could I point to and say, this high school, this team, this neighborhood of young people is what I want you to grow up and be like? We now have children idolizing demonic, literally demonic musicians. We have children singing songs of sexual perversion. We have our children talking about murder as it's a normal part of their life. And here's my point, is I don't see the church doing anything in comparison to what it did during the time of slavery. We're not standing up for abortion like we did during the time of abolition. 
I'm telling you, during, I mean, we have to go back and study. There was an abolition mo- movement from almost day one in America, and they kept getting stronger and stronger. And every person was handing out the pamphlets, you know, of an African-American with his back laid open and it, because he was beaten. And it said underneath it, am I not a man? I don't even see this going on for uh, 1% of Christians. How many percent of Christians even care today about the unborn lives being aborted every single day in our country and nation? Young people used to be at the heart of revolution and change. When we talk about the civil rights movement and you talk about the march to Salma and other places, you're talking about mostly young people. Of course, there was others there. But the young people were leading these marches. Now the young people are leading marches for socialism to the destruction of Christian values. And it doesn't seem like the church even cares. Why? Because what has happened for the most part to the church? They've become lukewarm. And what deception do they have? Well, we've got money. Look at us, Pastor Joe. We've got a bigger building than you. We must be doing something better than you. Look at Pastor Joe. We have all of these bands and worship choirs and all of these things. We must be doing it better than you. I could just hear the voices and the sounds of these other preachers. Joe, look at me. I get interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. I get to sit on the couch of these superstars. Look at all the influence that I have. I'm rich. I don't need your help. I don't need to change a thing. And yet Jesus is looking at our churches going, you are naked. You are wretched. He's not just saying that to those on the streets. He's saying it to those in the church. You are wretched and you're pitiful. And how I think about the pity upon these churches is imagine today we were to have some kind of invasion from a foreign army. We had to stand up and fight. Imagine, just think about this. This grieves my heart. But just imagine if we said to to everyone here, we're only sending out our children five years old and younger to go face the invading army. We're going to go send our little children here. You, you little children, you go out and face them. And that's what we're doing. We're sending out our children to go to these schools and to these college campuses with no weapons of warfare, no training, and they're getting slaughtered. We're losing the cultural war. Our children are paying the price of our stupidity, and it's pitiful. It is pitiful that we have not taught our children and our adults how to fight the worldview war. And so the adults retreat from the battle and just send their children into these schools and workplaces and these college campuses to be slaughtered by the enemy. And then when we come as Christians... We stand downtown and preach. We stand in front of Wright College by God's grace. We go to the schools. There are Christians who then shame us as they're blindly, pitifully sending their own children to the slaughter. They get upset with us. Shame on you for coming out here and causing a problem. Don't you know we just let abortion happen around here? Don't you know we just let our children become transgender around here? Don't you know that we just allow gangs and drugs around here? And I've apologized for my people because the worst ones are the white privileged sinners. Even last Sunday as TJ, an African-American man, was preaching in Logan Square, this spiritual fool put his hands on TJ. They had to pull him off. Number one, I said to, my, I said to myself, try that with a group of young people like TJ who aren't saved, white boy. And watch how fast you find yourself naked on the street. Try that with anybody. Are you listening to me? And then the police just escorted them off, and we made sure that now from this point on it's not happening again. We talked to the police yesterday at the abortion clinic because there's two white Anglo-privileged neighborhoods that cause us the most problems, and there's the police always there. So I spoke to the police, and I said, listen, if they touch us, we are pressing charges. If they touch our property, we are pressing charges. We are tired of them getting away with this, just getting escorted. Because if we even come close to them, they cry woof and then get the police on our back. And for the sake of the underground church, we will stand up for our rights here. Because they wish they had the rights that Americans had. Are you listening to me? We're not an oppressed people group yet to the point where our our government is not commanded to support us. So I said to TJ, call the police, tell them you're coming, tell them because he's going there tonight in Jesus' name. And I double dog dare some of you to go. 
I said, TJ, you let the police know I want a squad car there. I want the sergeant there. And then you talk to that because we called up the district already. And then you talk to the sergeant. I want to be safe here. I want my rights defended here. And if anybody touches me or tries to grab this microphone out of my hand, I want them arrested. If not, my lawyer is going to make sure you know how to follow the law, sir or ma'am. We are not playing in this country towards the wickedness of the sinners. They are so cowardly. They are so cowardly. They pick on Christians. What is wrong with you? You want to fight? Pick on somebody who wants to fight. We haven't come out here to fight. We've come out here to preach the gospel, and they're so, they're so cowardly, they cannot hear an opposing view without trying to oppress them and take away their voice. And yet I see Christians, lukewarm, make you puke Christians who will speak against TJ who will speak against our preachers and say they're doing it wrong. I love what D.L. Moody said. I like better what I'm doing wrong than what you're not doing right. I'd rather go to a homeless shelter and go preach it wrong, at least God do something, than never go preach at a homeless shelter. I would rather go preach on the streets with some wildfire than never preach on the streets. And so we need a church that stands up for a church that's on fire. I've always said this. You don't have to do what we're called to do. You don't, but don't criticize it. Pray for us. Pray for a church that's on fire standing up for a remnant today because we're bringing out our children and our families to see a culture changed, and we're not going to do it alone. We're going to do it hand in hand. We're going to unite a church. I believe that some of these pastors are just getting tired of getting pimped. I'm just being honest with you. I've been getting some calls from them as of late, and I think they're going to keep increasing because I think some of my friends are just tired of getting pimped by the devil. It's about time we start kicking some devil butt around here. Are you listening? He's got a big old butt and a target on his back. It's time for us to start tearing down strongholds. It's time for us to start bringing back the things of God into our culture, red and yellow, black and white. That's why I love it when, uh, when, when Bevelin comes here and says homosexuality doesn't belong in the black culture. It never was here and it doesn't belong here. Don't you put that nasty stuff with Black Lives Matter. If we're going to agree upon anything, let's agree upon a man getting his, his breath taken away. We can agree with that. But don't put underneath BLM trans lives matter and expect the black church to get behind it. Same thing with every culture. We need to stop saying sin is good and what is good is wicked. It doesn't belong in our culture. It's wicked. It's evil. Suicide among pastors. I keep hearing this. That's why by God's grace I'm writing a book on suicide. These lukewarm pastors commit suicide. They then have these vigils for them. Talk about how nice they were and how great they were as a pastor and how they're in a sweet, better place. And then another ten people either hear the message or in the congregation commit suicide. It's a wicked lie of the devil. I just heard from our evangelist, Adam, that others are committing suicide because of this one pastor. As a matter of fact, you can look it up right now that the Bible's being proven true, that suicide is also considered contagious by the mental health clinic world. Why? Because the Bible said it all along that the spirit of fear was contagious, that the spirit of fear was spread upon the people. That's why God said to Gideon, get rid of these and get rid of those. Give us the ones that are true to the things of God. If you're a coward in the pulpit, get out. Get out. I'm tired of hearing pastors commit suicide. Chain yourself to this pillar before you put a gun to your head, sir or ma'am, and we'll get you help in Jesus' name. I'm tired of seeing cowards in the pulpit. I'm tired of seeing adulterers in the pulpit. I'm tired of seeing us all make excuses. It's like the people have said to the pastor, don't talk about my stuff and I won't talk about your stuff. I'm tired of these underground deals that are getting made in churches so that we're not strong anymore. Let us be strong to the things of God. Let us be a terror to the enemy. Let us repent for our backsliddenness. Vinny, would you come, please? How many receive the word today? Amen. We receive it, Jesus. We receive it, right? Y'all can take a tough word. Amen. By God's grace. Oh, Jesus, we need you in this nation. Altar workers and band, would you come too, please? I know I'm running a little bit late for the second service coming. Thank you for coming today. First service, I appreciate you. I love you. Jesus, amen. Thank you. Jesus, we need you. Speak to this culture, oh God. Speak to this culture, oh God. Start with us right now. If you're here today and you're lukewarm, just even start making your way to the front as we begin to stand. Congregation, would you stand now with us, please? 
If you need prayer, just start to come right now if there's things in your life you want to get rid of. No more excuses. If you've never known Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, come on up. Someone will pray with you. If you need to get rid of that lukewarmness, let Jesus set you on fire. Let Jesus make you a refreshment to others. But right now, come on, those of us who don't need to repent of something at the front or to get saved, would you look at your heart right now and make sure that you do not let sin tempt you and deceive you into something that you're going to regret, that the culture is going to have another reproach against us as Christians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon us. This is not a time to beat yourself up under condemnation. This is just a time to be honest. Are there things that could turn wrong in your life and cause Jesus to say, you make me puke? If there are, cut them out right now. Jesus, take out any uh, desire of lust out of my heart, Jesus. I'll go first. Lord Jesus, take out the things of anger and bitterness and jealousy. Lord, set me free from the inside out, Jesus. Pure and holy is what you want me to be, clothed in white. Clothed in white. A few moments right now, letting folks pray. This is your time to pray. Don't, Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't make excuses. People are going to look at me. Who cares? Just come on up, get prayer. Get the junk out. Be earnest, the Bible says. Repent. We're not above a word like this. It's a word of warning how not to be. And now the last few moments that we have together as we get ready to close in worship, would you worship the God who gives you victory and has a place for you on his throne? I worship you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. There's nothing too hard for you, Lord. There's nothing impossible for you today. We have a good, good father. If we could sing that out in closing, please. We have a father that sent his son to make room on the throne to bring his family in. We're not supposed to go out like this. This is not how it's supposed to end for Chicago. We have a good, good father that's willing to stand with us and give us the strength. Who wants to stand with Jesus? Who wants to stand with the things of God? We have a good, good Father. That's who you are. Amen. Let's sing it out. We'll dismiss in just a moment. I feel that encouraging somebody today as it encourages me. You're not alone today. You're not alone today. Get set free from lukewarmness. Get close to God and change your world with the sun today. doesn't want to spit us out. Come on, pray for churches in this city. Pray for backsliders in this city. Pray for them to fall in love with Jesus today. To the glory of the Father. Keep on singing it out today. Keep on singing as we're praying, band. Thank you. I pray for the churches of this city to fall in love with God today like never before. I pray for the revelation of God's love to transform hearts. I pray for the young people for these high schools to be set on fire today. I pray for Belmont and Clark today, for the gay and homosexual lesbian community to find the love of God. Oh, pursue them, Jesus.